Well, Brother Lee, I guess that means that uh, Brother Bruce Martin must be the same age you and I are. We're on that upside toward 70, aren't we? I didn't realize he was that old. He just seemed like a kid when I knew him a long time ago. Well, it's good to be here this evening. I don't think I need that set of notes. And I appreciate the opportunity uh, to speak again this evening. And I will go ahead and warn you, because I was asked about this by one earlier, there's two more weeks in a row that I'll be speaking. So if you need to schedule to not be here on Wednesday night for the next two weeks, you can, you got that much advance notice. But, <laughs> but anyway, maybe you can suffer through it. Well, I had talked about the possibility of combining some of these, like this evening, First and Second Samuel, possibly First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. But that's not going to work for Samuel, at least. Um, there's just too many um, what, what principal characters in each of these two books for me to be able to feel like I could combine them. And I, I will just have to see uh, as we go along. But uh, we are going to look at the book of 1 Samuel this evening. For uh, those of you that haven't been here with us, I'm doing a series on just an overview of each of the books of the Bible in order according to the canon. And uh, so this evening we are in the, the book of 1 Samuel. And let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin this evening. Father, thank you again for the opportunity to be here tonight. Thank you for each one that's able to be here, Lord, and we pray for uh, Brother Ed and Sister Irma, Lord, and uh, for Eric and Elaine and other family members that are with them, uh, for Brother Sean and uh, his wife and the in-laws and their family, Lord, and probably most of us, Lord, have families or friends that are in the wake of the hurricane and I pray for their safety and well-being, if it be your will, and then, Lord, also um, others that have been mentioned today, uh, Brother Matt's mom, who's planning to come from Florida this way in a few days, pray that you'd be with her and her situation. Lord, I just pray that you'd bless the message this evening, pray that your will and way be accomplished. Lord, pray what we say and do would honor and glorify you. Help us to be a stronger, uh, more faithful servant to you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, the book of, I'm just going to jump in there because like always, there's, there's not enough time. I do have six, seven more minutes tonight, really. You feeling okay? <laughs> uh, all right. The uh, book of 1 Samuel covers 95 to 105 years, something like that. I looked at a bunch of different people's viewpoints on that, and most of them agree that it falls within that basic range. And there's a little, as always, there's a little variance between different ones that have worked out the years, but even that is within about 25 years or so. So it's pretty interesting to me uh, that they agree that much on the book of Samuel. Um, this is another book of the Bible that no one can say for sure who wrote it. Um, a lot of people think that Samuel wrote it down himself, and that is very possible, but it's, we don't know, and it's not, uh, not something that we have to worry about. The uh, book of 1 Samuel, in one sentence, 
Israel demands a king who turns out to be quite a disappointment. <laughs> sometimes this guy, whoever he is, sometimes he's pretty funny and, and pretty, pretty true. The thing is, that's not the major part of the book of 1 Samuel, but it is kind of, I guess, the big picture. The name Samuel means asked of God or heard of God. And um, very fitting for who Samuel is and how he came to be. And we'll look at that uh, down the road just a little bit. I think we'll go ahead and look at the outline. It's relatively simple and short um, in this book. First of all, we have his youth and being a judge. This be Samuel. That's chapter one through verse, chapter one through chapter eight. This involves his birth, his call, the troubles with the Ark of the Covenant, the revival, and then the demand for a king. And then the second part of the outline would be the anointing and ultimate rejection of Saul, who was the first king of Israel. That's chapters 9 through 15. And then thirdly, the parallel lives of Saul and David until Saul's death, and that would be chapter 16 through 31. And that involves David's anointing, his defeat of, I almost said it like my dad did. A hundred years ago, my dad preached a message and he said, David and Goliath, the entire sermon. And we were all doing our best not to roll in the floor because it just came out that way every time. And I almost said it that way. So anyway, it is Goliath, at least as I understand it. And then the Philistines or Philistines or however you want to pronounce their name. Then there's also the connection between Jonathan, David, and uh, Saul constantly attempting the murder of somebody. And then David marrying Saul's daughter. And then Saul is mad at everybody. And so it's, that's quite a, it's quite a convoluted book, really, and some interesting and odd connections actually when you when you really think about it but uh, anyway it's a, it's it's a really good book it tells a lot of history there's something and of course I'm sure all of y'all have thought of this and known this for 50 or 75 years at least but it it dawned on me uh, looking at at this that up until Saul, takes over, we had the nation of Israel. And when Saul becomes king, it's the kingdom of Israel. And Israel's just a nation again right now. One day it'll be a kingdom again. And, you know, I'm not very smart. I get things really slow, but I never thought about that. That is one of the things that is really important about the book of Samuel. It is a transitional period here. We're, we're moving a long ways in the, this nation and the, um, I can't get the words out tonight. Sorry, it's going to be one of those long evenings probably. <clears throat> but uh, moving from the way they have done things as a nation uh, to the way that they're going to do for things from then on, basically. Uh, it's quite a transitional period. The uh, thing about Samuel is that 
he was, first of all, chapter 7, verse 15. Verses 15 through 17 tell the whole thing for the sake of time. I'm just going to read uh, the first, that one verse, if I get in the right book. 1 Samuel 7, 15, and you can go ahead and read it three or four times before I get there. It says there, and Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. So he was the judge of Israel his entire life, and he lived for a long time. Uh, I wrote it down in there somewhere, but somewhere between 80 and 100 years. Um, But he was a judge that whole time. But if you go to chapter 2, back to chapter 2, and read, well, the passage is 27 through 36, but let's just read verses 35 and 36. And I will raise me up a faithful priest that shall do according to that which is in mine heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house, and he shall walk before mine anointed forever. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of thine house shall come and couch to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread, and shall say, Put me, I pray thee, into one of the priest's offices, that I may eat a piece of bread. And then... In chapter 3, it begins to point out, well, we'll get to that in a minute. But here we see Samuel is also a priest. Uh, and, I mean, we know that. We see that in various places, but it's pointed out clearly in this section. So he was, first of all, a judge. Now he's also a priest. And then in chapter um, 3, verses 1 through 18, but, and we'll just read verses 19 and 20. Of chapter 3 verses 19 and 20 and Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and did let none of his words fall to the ground and all Israel from Dan even to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord so Samuel technically fulfilled three different offices uh, this guy was busy. He was, <laughs> you talk about being busy in the ministry, this guy was. Uh, it covered, and we've not seen this before. Of course, it's a picture. It's one of the types, obviously, that we see in this book, and we'll get to those uh, before we close out this evening. But so he was a judge, he was a priest, and he was a prophet. And he also had the I'll call it privilege. That's the best way I know to word it. He had the privilege to anoint the first and the second king of Israel. Uh, it really was not a privilege per se because that wasn't God's, uh, that wasn't his ideal plan. But that was what he allowed to happen and Samuel was the one who was used to accomplish those for the first two. And so Samuel did a lot of things. His, um, I guess we ought to look at the principal characters, probably would be the simplest thing. Samuel heard of God. Um, he became, I guess you would say, he was mentored by Eli, who was the priest at that time. Eli's name means my God. Um, he was not a bad person, per se. But he let his family run wild, and he didn't do anything to deal with that. By the time he decided it was important to deal with it, it was way too late. Um, 
that's why the Bible's, well, I'm not going to get off into that subject or we won't get anywhere we're supposed to be this evening. But anyway, if we teach our children when they're young and they grow up to live for the Lord and you don't deal with those issues uh, like that, that doesn't mean every child turns out perfect. I was the only perfect child in my family, obviously, but uh, yeah. <laughs> so you know what the other three are like if I'm the perfect one. <laughs> anyway, I, sorry, no, just no lightning. I, I didn't mean that. But I just had to throw that in there. But anyway, that Samuel didn't, didn't deal well. I mean, Eli didn't. But of course, when you read the rest of the story, Samuel's family didn't turn out well either. It's interesting that they followed that same path that Eli's sons did. So there's no guarantees. Uh, we pray for our kids. We teach them right. We train them up in the Lord. But they still are free moral agents. And... You know, I don't want any child to go astray, but I'm glad that we're all free moral agents. I'm glad that God made us that way. I'm glad we're not just puppets. I'm glad that we're not just, you know, we're all just alike. We're not. And so, anyway, that was that was free part for tonight. Um, I won't go back there anymore. <clears throat> the next uh, major player or principal character would be Hannah, who was um, Samuel's mother. Uh, I, I love that story. She was a great lady. Her name means gracious. And I don't, know, I don't know what to think about exactly, because we're not given all the details. There's not room, the Bible says, the world couldn't contain everything. And, and so we don't know exactly what everything we're told there means because we don't have all the little bitty things involved. But I know that she was one of two wives. And her name means gracious. And the Bible talks about how that she, she was just, she just, you know, okay, that's, I'll do this, I'll do that. And I, I don't know how much of it was Satan. I don't know how much of it would have been the other wife. I don't know because we're not told. But she was basically tormented. I'll put it that way. Uh, in these years while she prayed and asked for a son. And then God blessed uh, her with a son. And of course, Eli thought she was a drunken, wicked woman that had come to the temple drunk. I'm, I'm going, maybe Eli wasn't as much with it as I first thought or would like to think because he couldn't tell the difference and she'd been coming for years, but that's another story, I guess. Anyway, God gave him Samuel and she gave him back to the Lord. That's one of the key verses. It was hard to put one key verse I picked four that, to me, kind of stood out, and we'll read those in a few minutes. One of the next major players coming in this book would be Saul. Um, his name means asked for. He fits exactly what happened. Israel asked for a king. Of course, I like, you know, we got that other saying, we ask for it. That's kind of, I put the it in parentheses at the end. He asked for it. And that's what they got. Uh, they got this guy that stood out in the crowd, head and shoulders taller than everybody else. And he was, uh, sound like he was quite a politician type guy, although he seemed shy and retiring at the beginning. But they asked for it and they got it. Then there's Jonathan, who was one of the sons of Saul. His name means when Jehovah gave. And Jonathan was a very interesting person. 
um, I really like to look at and talk about and study about Jonathan, what we have. I mean, he should have been the next king, but he made a league with David, and, and they had a friendship that very few people in life ever accomplish. I don't, you know, if, if you've ever met, if you have a best friend like Jonathan and David were to each other, then you've got something there. But Jonathan was fine with not being the next king and David being the next king. That's a lot to say right there. I mean, because that's a big, big deal, or it was then, of course. And so there's so much involved there. David, another principal character, his name means beloved. And um, this isn't really totally just for free, but I put it in there because it always catches my attention. Everybody always talks about it. David went out to fight with Goliath. He's the next character we'll talk about. And David picked up five smooth stones. Did he take in case he missed the first four times? Nah, I don't think so. But why did he pick up five stones? He only needed one. David was an expert, but he picked up five. I, there could be several reasons, and I, I know if I ask, I could get two or three answers uh, from several of you. But anyway, it's always something to think about. He, he put five smooth stones in that bag, uh, but he only used the one. Goliath, whom he, whom he slew uh, with one stone right there, uh, his name means exile or wanderers and people of self-pity. This was one of the ites of the Old Testament that they weren't listed in the original group, but it was one of the ites that God said you've got to get rid of. You, you can't allow them to live and stay among you because they'll corrupt you. And um, we have to be careful about um, dealing with self-pity in our Christian life. The Philistines, or the, they, still, uh, they still live among us. And then one other uh, principal character was a man named Nabal. Um, he was the first husband of one of David's wives. He died. His name means fool. And that's what Nabal was. He was a fool. He lived the life of a fool. And, and he died because of it. <clears throat> so those are, to me, principal characters. Several of them obviously are. There's a lot of other people listed in the book of 1 Samuel. But these are, these are people that stand out for some reason or another. If you're, I'm sure everybody's familiar with Nabal. But he was a sheep man that David's band protected from all the bad guys that ran around the country. And when David said, hey, we've taken at harvest time, or well, it wouldn't really be harvest, but when they sheared the sheep and all that and killed them, David said, hey, we've protected you for all this time and we've not stolen anything. How about giving us a little bit of food and, and things? And Nabal abused his, David's men and told him there's all kinds of people that are rebels and rebelling against the king and and so God smote him dead of course and just before David and his people killed him and all of his people that was because of Nabal's wife and was her name Abigail okay I know it started with the a but like I didn't write it down in the mind just playing tricks tonight she was the one that saved all of the people alive because she went to David and 
you know the story, a lot of you. A lot of you ladies will know this story for sure. So that's, that's the uh, kind of the key. If you could put up the, I've got two tonight, Lee. I, I've doubled my technology, whatever, usage. Uh, I hope it, it's a little hard to see. It's a big chart that I have. At one time, I think I spread it out across the front of the auditorium years ago. But basically what I wanted to point out, both sides, the bottom of the blue on the left column, it says, wow, thanks, Scott. It says Samuel. And then at the top, it says one kingdom to, it says Saul, David, and Solomon. And there you can see it says 1100 B.C. to 1000 B.C. So this chart is fairly close to the information that I have written down. They say approximately 100 years uh, in this basic frame, time frame. The time of the judges through Saul and into David. And this is, this is the timeline uh, that we see that 1 Samuel basically covers. The last of the times of the judges, the first part of the period of the one kingdom. Thank you, sir. And I don't know if that helps anybody or makes any difference. If you don't have charts or want charts, I can get you charts. Of course, you can look them up on the Internet, probably thousands of them. But uh, it, to me, it helps to see this, that basically this is the time frame for the book of First Samuel, the end of all of those judges and the beginning of the kingdom time. The types... And I only wrote down two for this evening. Didn't write down any references with them. But I wrote down, first of all, a major place Samuel um, uses this location. And I've, I know everybody's heard of the, the term. It's Shiloh. Uh, and it's a, it's a major location in the book of 1 Samuel. And that is a type of Christ, uh, and the word Shiloh means Messiah and rest. And so obviously that's what we find in Christ. He's our Messiah, and he gives us rest. And so it, it makes a type just from the definition of its name. The other type of Christ we've already touched on, and I said we'd get to in this, in this book, is Samuel, because he's a prophet. Christ was a prophet. Samuel was a priest, Christ is our high priest, and Samuel was a judge, and Christ is going to be our judge too. And so it makes a really, really good type. And there's a lot of other types in the book of Samuel, but again, because of time and all of those things involved, we have to, have to limit them. Okay, let's look at my um, key verses, and then we'll move to... Our last picture. First, uh, let's see, chapter 1, verse 28. All of these, of course, in the book of 1 Samuel. And this is where Hannah dedicates Samuel. And she said, Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord, and he worship the Lord there. This obviously has to be a key verse. Uh, this, is, this is just a picture of Samuel's life. This was his mom's attitude. 
Uh, she said in the verse before, this child I prayed, the Lord hath given me my petition, which I ask of him, and therefore I have lent him to the Lord. Obviously, Samuel belonged to God, but that's quite a statement. How many of your moms willingly turn your children over? Oh, yeah, how many preachers and missionaries are, are there kids of some of us here in this building tonight? Yeah, we, we give our kids back to the Lord a lot of times, don't we? Uh, and you don't you don't get to see them as much, and and you you hear and but it's just a picture there. But yeah, we there is some understanding at least of what that what that means uh, for her to do that. And and I can't speak for the way that you ladies feel, and yet I I know from discussions uh, some of those things. The next key verse is chapter four. <clears throat> And verse 22, 4.22. And she said, The glory is departed from Israel, for the ark of God is taken. Um, wow, what a tragedy that took place uh, at this time in so many ways. Eli dies, his two sons Eli or Hophni and Phinehas were slain, and the Ark of the Covenant was taken and whisked away. This daughter-in-law was having a child, and she named it Ichabod, and which is a terrible thing. It means the glory has departed. It'd be like naming your child Orpah. Um, it, it would be a very bad thing to do it would a lot of times we live up to our names uh, most people do or live down to them and so uh, I, I don't understand all that but I know it's true from history so that, it, that was a it is a key verse because it was a very very dark time in Israel when this when this took place and <laughs> there are some things in the next chapter or two from there that, that I, I just, I love and, and I laugh at. And uh, chapter five and chapter six, the things that happened to the, the Philistines because they, because <laughs> they took the ark. But there's the, you know, I mean, again, it, it's not funny. It's terrible what happened. I mean, how many people died and, and the diseases that were involved. And yet, you know, you look at it and you go, well, you're messing with God. What do you expect? And yet they, don't, they didn't get that. Obviously, Israel didn't get that because when they did get the ark back, what well, the first thing they do? They opened it up and looked inside. They'd never done that, anything that stupid before. And 50-something thousand of them died. I mean, hello. What, what is wrong with people? Okay, what's wrong with us? We're all sinful and we do things we shouldn't. Uh, but... Uh, with the Philistines, it was always, to me, just hilarious what they thought was, you know, important. Let's, let's make five golden mice, and let's make five golden emeralds, and let's put them with the Ark of the Covenant and send it back. You know, and their, if I understand right, their principal god was a fish. And so, uh, but that 
to them the, the mice and the golden things was a thought they would appease God at least. Their method of sending the ark back I thought was very interesting. Take two milk cows with baby calves, lock the calves up, tie the cap, harness the cattle to those two cows to a cart and put the ark on the cart and send it off in a certain direction because you know those baby calves were just screaming their heads off and those mama cows we know what if you know anything about cattle mama cows don't like their babies left alone or messed with and they went straight that way I mean that was the hand of God showing them because they said well let's see if God if God wants it there then that's where it'll go that's what it did then once again, as Israel decides to basically copy that, and it cost the life of a really good man because he did something not smart. He reached out and touched it. And so it just, you know, it just mind-boggling sometimes what people do, whether they quote-unquote are Christian, if we look at Israel as a Christian nation versus Philistines who are heathens, tend to do the same things that God doesn't, approve of and cost them dearly. The next one is chapter 8 verse 22 Oops wrong chapter Good. 822 and the Lord said to Samuel hearken unto their voice and make them a king and Samuel said unto the men of Israel go ye every man unto his city and so here we see a major transition. We go from a nation of Israel to the kingdom of Israel because we're going to have the first king and it's going to be Saul. And the people said, oh, well, we just can't, we can't deal with this. You're old, Samuel, and we don't know what we're going to do without you. And you're thinking, didn't pay that much attention to him most of the time anyway, but... Still, that, that was what they said. You're, you're old and, and we, we've got to have somebody, so we want to be like everybody else and we want to have a king. Uh, we have to be careful in today's world in the church that we not say the same things, that we want to be like everybody else. Everybody else, they're, they're prosperous and, and they get the things and it's, you know, so let's, let's be like, no, we don't want to be like everybody else. We want to be like what God wants us to be like. And uh, so Samuel went to the Lord, and you know, he goes, Ah, oh, Lord, and let them have what they want, Samuel. Um, they ask for it. And that's, that's what happened there. That's a major verse. And then chapter 15 and verse 22. And three of these, Lee, are the same verse, verse 22. I don't put anything into the numbers here, but I thought it was interesting that they fall in the same verse in those chapters. And I didn't pick them because of the numbers. I had no idea. I picked them because of the content and then looked up the address and went, hmm. Likewise, all the men of Israel, let's see if I got the right chapter or not. Nope. 15.22. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken 
than the fat of rams. Another very, at least growing up in the world I grew up in, another very important verse. I heard it a lot growing up. Um, and it's, it is a very powerful verse. As, he, as great a delight in burnt offering and sacrifices as in obeying the voice, and to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. That's uh, not putting down or belittling the requirements of the law, but it's just pointing out that God speaks, and we need to obey those things. You can, we can go through the form or the formalities of certain things, but it doesn't mean that what we're doing is real. Uh, I mean, <laughs> there was a guy who was a very famous preacher for for a long time before he, his life fell apart and he wandered back off into the ways of the world. But he went to church because he was an insurance salesman. And he would sit in church and he would look at this person and go, well, they dress pretty nice. And when you talk to them, they sound like they might have an education, so they're probably worth this much life insurance. And he'd make notes on the people in the congregation and then he would try to sell them insurance. Uh, that's why he went to church. He was there all the time, and he paid attention. He wasn't there for the right reason. And that's what Samuel is pointing out here. You can, you can do all of the right things, but it can be for the wrong reasons. And obviously, Israel was having issues with that, as we saw in the picture a while ago, through all the judges and through all of those things, they, they had a history of doing good for a little while and then having lots of problems. And let's see, that was the last of my key verses. There's tons of others, obviously. The last thing, if you'll put uh, up on the screen for us, Brother Matt. All right. I just decided to do this this evening for the crossover. This is, oh, wow. I like that. That's what, it, that's what happens when you have people that can do technology. I took a picture of a page, and Matt reformatted it into something that's really nice. Thank you, sir. I'll give him the credit, because it's not mine, I promise me. Called the Magnificats of the Bible. Obviously on the right, Luke chapter 1, Mary's song. Look at Hannah's prayer from 1 Samuel chapter 2. They are almost exact parallels. I mean, if, if you need a crossover from Old Testament and New Testament, you can't get a better, at least in the books we've covered so far, you can't get a better one than that. In verse 1, Hannah said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over my enemies. All generations call me blessed. There's none holy as the Lord. Holy is his name. Bowels of the mighty men are broken. He put down the mighty. They that were hungry ceased. He hath filled the hungry with good things. Keep the field of his saints. He hath opened his servant Israel. That's powerful. I, I'm going to be honest with you right here now. I had not ever seen this before. Been in the Bible for a long time. But I had never seen this comparison. Uh, but fortunately, I found it. And it means a lot to me now. And so, but it's 1 Samuel 2, verses uh, Luke chapter 1. And so you can, you can look at those anytime you want to because they're in your Bible.
But that was, that was very powerful to me. I was really, really powerful. Thank you, Brother Scott. Appreciate the help.